Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello, and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. My name is Lisa. I'm your host, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with holistic nutrition coach, Taylor Siebel. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm uh, also very excited. I love podcasting. I haven't had an opportunity to do it in quite a while, but something that I enjoy is just being able to free flow and kind of come off the top of my head and hopefully give out some information that I've worked very hard to gain. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. And um, yeah, I would love to just hear how you got into the whole nutrition coaching space, but particularly more like holistic nutrition? Mm. Um, That's tricky. So basically, I started off being like, um, I guess like fairly overweight and definitely had very low self-esteem for like the earlier part of my life. And then at some point when I was getting deeper and deeper into athletics, I found strength training and then I really, that was like my first kind of like passion was just strength training because I felt like I was able to have control over variables in my life that I otherwise didn't have control over. At that point, control was a really cool thing. Now I'm kind of like working on not having control of anything, but it's like a whole 360. Uh, Regardless, uh, over time, I kind of figured out that it's like, man, my progress just isn't as good as it could be, but why? And then everyone was like, you just have to like eat like this. And I was like, ah, no, I don't, I don't want to eat like that. I don't want to like give up all these things I really enjoy. And eventually I hit a point where I was sort of forced to, because my gut was just like not in a spot where I was able to tolerate any food really. And then my hormonally, I was not in a great spot. I had like very, very low testosterone in like my early twenties. And it's like, wow, there, there's gotta be a better way. So I was going to the different doctors, getting blood work. Seemingly nobody had any kind of answer. And really what kind of got me into this whole side of things was I sort of had to be my own doctor and like solve all these problems that literally nobody could come up with the answers for. I was like, oh my God, okay, there's got to be somewhere to find this stuff. And it turns out there really isn't. Like you really like outside of like the rare occasion of like hiring the right person, like there is very, very few people to be able to trust with your health in like a 360 degree view. Mm, I agree with that. And I like what you said about being your own doctor, not necessarily um, that everyone has to do that, but I always refer to myself as my own guinea pig in the sense of like, I like to experiment with different supplements or even just like, hey, let's tweak this in training and see what kind of effect comes from that. And I think it's just um, maybe not sad, but it's a little bit, if people are just like uh, stuck in one way and never want to try something else, as you say, you might feel okay, but you never, you might never know what optimal feels like. And um, that, of course, is the whole essence of self-development and striving for self-improvement, et cetera, which I like to always, um, I guess, emphasize or or advocate for a little bit as well. But um, you also, I saw on your profile that you also like or start with behavioral and um, lifestyle changes with your clients and not just um, obviously with your own health. Uh, and, and I'm curious if you have any 
maybe like basic foundations or any any non-negotiables that you always like to address first or perhaps it's always um individual dependent is there anything that comes to mind yeah i have some fundamental things that i think everybody needs you know like sunlight in the morning moonlight in the evening time putting your feet in the grass like i think these are like meditating i think these are all like fundamental baselines that should be in place if you just want to be a good human um really everything else kind of layers on top of those because at the end of the day we are light-based creatures so mm -hmm. uh, in order for our biology to work properly that's literally required like there is no escaping it totally um i i like what you said about the the feet in the grass i mean i think at the moment, we hear more and more about the morning sunlight viewing, and it's becoming a little bit more popular thanks to Andrew Huberman or you know a lot of other people out there. Um, but the whole grounding concept has kind of fallen a little bit into, or it's it's more like hippie associated, I guess. Perhaps I personally have been trying to do grounding in the morning for a long period of time like always you know first thing maybe not first thing but one of the in the, in the within the first hour of the day stepping outside into grass or some sort of ground natural ground um and this is really the first place so i'm here in bogota in colombia which is the capital it's a metropolitan city and i'm normally someone i have always preferred living in a warm spots and it's not super super warm here and be close to either the lake or the ocean some sort of nature so this is the first location that i'm at for longer periods of time which is metropolitan and one of the first things that i have craved so much especially in the first few weeks was I need to go outside. I can't go outside bare feet. Like this is, people are just, it's just not going to work. I got a grounding mat to compensate for it a little bit. It's not really doing the same thing. <laughs> like, you know, you, I'm a very, very central person. So like when I step my feet on the ground and or on the grass and the grass is still a little bit damp or you hear the birds chirping at the same time and all that, like it all comes together. It just enhances that grounding experience versus stepping on a grounding grounding mat in a gray tryst uh, a, a, or like gray apartment that doesn't have much else going for it <laughs> so yeah I I agree with that um, yeah I think um for you maybe one of the easier implementations would be just like some grounding sandals where they have uh, inductive webbing like on the sandals and then copper plating on the bottom I think those have been a, a big game changer um, and for me even I just Think it's more efficient rather than having to go and like find grass or anything like that like seeing you know, concrete's plenty yeah unfortunately <laughs> that's very true a good point yeah i should, should go and check that out and i also see that you um just like i do you have an aura ring so i presume sleep is another important pillar for you or your clients yeah yeah i don't emphasize sleep as much as i could only because all of I do think it's probably the most important aspect. It's also the least adjustable aspect for a lot of people because they literally just don't have more time in the day. So I just do my best to optimize those variables as much as I can in terms of temperature, environment, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But um, in like the area surrounding sleep in terms of like waking up, going to bed, 
but sometimes literally somebody can only get five hours or six hours. Like I can't just be like, oh, well, you're a terrible person because you can only sleep for six hours. It's like, okay, well, we're going to have to do something and then bring in things like nootropics and like there's different aspects, but it really comes down to seeing like, what is this person's baseline way of being and what holes do I need to fill to get them to what I deem as optimal for them and what they want to achieve? That's such a good point. I mean, sometimes uh, as coaches, I believe we, or, or for me at least, it's sometimes um, it is a challenge to see things even more from the client's perspective. And of course, I can encourage people to get a little bit more sleep, even if it's just 10 minutes more, 30 minutes more, whatever. But sometimes it's just they just either don't want to make it more of a priority or it's just literally not possible. And I'm thinking back to my own days of working shift work um, many years ago. Um, if someone would have told me then, you know, you just need to sleep more. I would have been like, well, I cannot. It's uh, literally, I cannot. I just wake up after four or five hours. Like it, it, there is no way. And you can only talk about the science so much. Um, I was well aware of the negative impacts on my own health but it just was not an option so as you say optimizing what you got in those scenarios is I think really really important and kind of coming off of the high horse as a coach during those times and just meeting the person where they're at um, is the best thing that we can do and that um, kind of leads me nicely into something that something else I wanted to talk to you about or that we connected over and that was um, I guess just various personality aspect and we can express that in so many different tests or forms or whatever um i personally have done a few uh, certifications on neurotyping um a few years ago thought it was incredibly interesting so for anyone who's listening who's not familiar with neurotyping it's basically um five different types of, of people or you kind of um, distinguish between five different kinds of people depending on their neurotransmitter dominance um, and we'll get a little bit more into the details later on but that's one thing um, and we also talked about enneagrams and um, human design etc and maybe you can give the listeners a little bit of a maybe not overview but like maybe a small explanation as to what the different types are and maybe also how we can use that to our advantage um, for nutrition training, just everyday life. Yeah. So I think um, I might have some interesting perspectives on some of this stuff, but I, I also most of the people that I spend time around in person are like, you know, energy healers or shamans or what, like my, I just have like a weird life. Like it's just the way it is. So I just have like interesting thoughts on things, but in terms of these like assessments as a whole, I like astrology and human design the best because they take out personal bias and it's literally defined by like, when were you born? Where were you born? Et cetera. It's not like, Oh, like what kind of mood am I in today? How could I like tweak my answer to this question? Like it's, it's very unbiased, which I think gives a much greater accuracy in the feedback versus like Enneagrams or like, you know, Jordan Peterson's personality test or even neurotyping, they all have faults and there's human error and subjectivity. So with human design, I think it's more relevant than astrology in the sense of you can understand what your actual energetic type is and how to design your life around that, right? So you have like generators, manifesting generators, projectors, reflectors, and manifestors like is really what it is 
But ultimately, what I think is the most important aspect of like each of these different types is that, for example, like I'm a generator. I know that if I just literally all I have to do in life is do things that I think are fun and that keep me excited. Like if I start to feel closed off, I know I'm doing the wrong things. Like that's it. Like that's my only guiding like in life. Like if I don't feel good, I have to stop it and do something else. Versus like you, you're a projector. Like you need a lot more rest. You need to like not be just like going and crushing life all the time and probably getting a lot more sleep and sleeping. Maybe like, maybe I need six hours of sleep and you need like 10 hours of sleep. This ultimately you're more of like a way shower and I'm more of just like the one that's actively just laying the bricks, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. And um, what drew me to human design is that it's also, um, as you mentioned, it's based on um, birth time and place, et cetera. Um, but also a little bit um, in there, the chakra system. So in the sense of, you know, you have your um, your uh, heart chakra and your throat chakra and all that. So a little bit, th that was something I was interested in prior to finding human design as well. And um, astrology for me has always sounded a little bit more or too abstract, I guess. And, and the um, human design brought Brought, found a nice middle way I guess between that and what it I think some of these um I don't know if you want to how you want to classify them but some of these uh I guess uh systems can can give or what it has given to me is just more permission to be yourself and um, because we often think we all need to be the same or it's just common so again for me I'm a, I'm a projector so that means I need um more rest and of course as someone who's even more like introverted etc um the times that i recharge is when i'm alone in order to show up as my best self i guess and so if i just look into society and society tells me i need to work 10 to 12 hours per day and i need to do this and this and this and rest is bad and blah 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 and then i'm just gonna run myself into the ground and be unhappy because i think i need to be like everyone else but if i look into the system and i know okay um, it's okay for me to rest more because then in the fewer hours that I do work, I can show up as my better self and I can actually get sometimes more done than other people or at least can bring forward my best work. And um, I think that's 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 really great. That's what it's just shown me um, more permission to be me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think it also gives you, especially like in terms of business, it gives you a lot of nice guiding posts in terms of like what you should and shouldn't be doing. So if I was like, oh, I'm like a female not health coach and like, that's all I do. But I absolutely like didn't get excited by that. That would make no sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, well, truthfully, I get excited by a lot of things. So like, I don't really have a niche, although everybody on the internet says that you should have a niche. I just, I, I don't. And it seems to be doing okay. But I, I think like you said, just having permission to just be be yourself and not live based on the the constraints that I guess society or your parents or who whoever like however you were kind of brought up like placed on you and making your own path I think is really what they provide the most. Absolutely, um, and you already explained explained nicely um, two of the types. So again, my type projector in the sense of being more of like 
a guide or inspiration to others perhaps and your type the generator the the path layer the, the doers i guess and then the other three types having the reflectors um the manifestors and the manifesting generators would you be able to just like touch on them very briefly what maybe some common traits are for these uh types yeah so to my understanding reflectors are very rare like they're really just almost like acting as a mirror to you right like you're it's somebody that it's almost like the way because I, I view astrology in a similar ish way in the sense of uh well i guess that's maybe not relevant but there, there's certain aspects of a reflector that remind me of like for example i'm a scorpio my brother's a scorpio rising what that tells me is like oh like when i see him that's like showing me certain aspects of myself that i need to either like acknowledge or to heal or just be like oh wow this is really cool or, or whatever like it's just giving you some different insights and it seems to be that's where the most value is there versus manifestors are seemingly just like you would think manifesting things are very diligent on their vision forward and pulling things in and attracting them versus manifesting generators are kind of like a combination of a generator and a manifester where really you're getting like I guess like the the workhorse ish aspects of like a generator, but they're also having the ability to just pull things in at their own leisure. Versus like anybody can truly manifest, but I, I think that the superpower of a manifestor is literally that ability. Because like you can manifest whatever you want in life, ultimately to some degree, but yeah, it's more so pronounced with each individual type. Because it's not like in isolation, like you could like. Oh, Lisa, you can never work hard because you're a projector. You just need to sleep like 24 seven. It's like, obviously everything runs on a spectrum. It's not like, there's not really extremes. It's more of like a bias toward like one thing over another. Absolutely. I think those were some really good brief descriptions though. And so for anyone who's interested in learning a little bit more about human design, I highly encourage you to go and check it out on, on Google, just typing in um, human design. And then there are some free websites where you can um, get your human design chart is what it's called. And um, again, amongst these five different types, there are also really um, a lot more distinguishing features or characteristics as you might want to call them and um, so there are certain gates and certain um, uh, themes non-self themes etc or certain things that each particular type should be looking out for and again I find that super super helpful so for example um, for a projector the non-self theme is bitterness and that means whenever I feel bitter I know that I'm out of um, alignment with with what really serves me best so I've, i forgot what is as a gen generator i think it's um frustration or something like that um so yeah whenever you feel frustrated so again like it, these things can just be helpful in your day-to-day -day life um if you kind of go through that or then there are certain um things that each particular type um on the flip side works best with so for example as a projector um we tend to come off a little bit strong sometimes. And because of that, 
it's a better a better strategy is um to wait for an invitation that means I'm not someone I'm supposed to make the first step in a lot of things or initiating things. That's more like the generating or the manifestor type, et cetera. And I'm supposed to be waiting for someone to approach me. And that, again, helps me also in, for example, what you mentioned, sales strategy. I'm not someone who's likely going to thrive having tons of ad, ads out there, being in people's faces and really pushing stuff. I'm probably more someone, if someone messages me like, hey, Lisa, I have a question about this nutrition, blah, blah, blah. I have an issue there. Could you, um, do you have any advice? And then I answer them back and, you know, a conversation might emerge and then they turn into a client. So again, it's just helpful strat strategies for life, but also um, business potentially. So I really encourage everyone to go and check out their own human design chart. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, mine is more so like waiting for something to respond to. So I'd be really good at things like consulting and things that like give me like acute scenarios to come up with unique responses to, because number one, that excites me and it allows a part of my creativity to thrive, but it also, plays really well into my human type because literally that's all I'm supposed to do is like just wait for things to respond to. Awesome. Yeah. And do you feel like um, uh, any of this like human design, astrology, neurotyping, whatever it might be, has helped you in your coaching practice or become an even better coach as well? Yeah, ton. I, I don't think I would be anywhere near the same level of, of understanding without these tools. And I think there's a lot of people that are you know, honestly a lot smarter than me that are much less effective in what they do because they don't have any human aspect to what they do. And they don't understand how humans might work and that there's other, you know, contributing factors besides like, oh, you're a human, you need to sleep eight hours and do that. Like, it's like a checklist versus like, okay, who are you actually? Mm -hmm. And I think that makes the the biggest difference and understanding that whether it's I mean, there's multiple things that have led to these thought processes, I suppose. But um, I, I think that in and of itself is a, is a valuable aspect of it. It's just understanding that there is the possibility that people may be different from yourself. <laughs> That's a very, very good point. Um, I'm curious then about your coaching process do you tend to talk with people on the phone do you have a certain intake form or is it literally just like you know the you asking them questions so you can get to know them best and do you speak with or how regularly do you speak with them um i have what do you, what do you want to call it so most of my clients i just acquire through either like word of mouth like referral type stuff or from Instagram, like people just like DMing me, or like the occasional person like fills out an application, but that's just not, that's more the exception than the rule for sure. And then um, I'll have like, I'll talk with them, get their intake information, have like a 90-ish minute like onboarding call. And then I really just have like two coaching options, either like A, we could just do everything through WhatsApp and I send like screen recorded, like check-in responses every week based on, you know, how they fill out their, their sheet and stuff like that. We'll like chat throughout the week or um, have a slightly high, well, considerably higher coaching option that has like weekly or bi-weekly calls. So then we just like get on a Zoom call for 45 or 60 minutes or, or whatever, really. Like I'm fairly flexible. It, it really just depends if we have enough things to cover in that time. 
because I'm just not much for small talk. So if we're just going to like sit there and be like, oh, how's the weather? Like, obviously, I'm just going to be like, hey, I got to go. This is going to be <laughs> silly to talk for longer. But if there's like something worthwhile to talk about, then I'll gladly do it. That's awesome. Um, and do you include training in your coaching as well? Or is it mostly nutrition, lifestyle? No, everything I do centers around training and everything else. So like when I program, I think about training first and everything else second. Okay, cool. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it's the yep. biggest stress that we can control. Like I, I think it's the most valuable thing to be able to like put at the forefront because it's like, really, you can't like take away work or kids or whatever. It's like, you can decrease training volume really fast. And like, that's the number one way to decrease somebody's stress load. That's a really, really good point. Um, and yeah, as you say, it's, it's, well, not easily manipulable, but it's, um, it's definitely something that we can also track more easily, et cetera. And, um, before we started recording, you mentioned, uh, you also have a strength coach mentor and uh, that you've been working with for some time that you have been learning from uh, for some time. And, uh, I was wondering if you have any like main things you have learned from him over the past few months or however long you have been working with him and um, where you were like, whoa, this is like completely changed my approach to training or um, I'm going to from now on always implement XYZ with everybody. Well, I think one of the most important things to just understand as a whole is that the more reps you do in the gym, the more fatigue you accrue. So a set of 20 is a lot more fatiguing than a set of five. Because in every single set you do, there's only five reps, the last five before hitting failure that grow literally any muscle at all. So there's other benefits to higher reps in terms of like, you know, being able to store more glycogen and have like a more like full muscle look, or there's other benefits to different types of training, but most people generally want to be stronger and have more muscle and be leaner. So in that scenario, I think that the most relevant thing to understand is that everything you do has a fatigue cost. And the more fatigue that you gain throughout the workout, throughout the week, is going to potentially hinder your ability to progress because if you have an excess amount of fatigue, it directly slows down the rate you can build muscle and gain strength. Yeah. It's like, a really good point. Yeah. A like a lot, a lot, like you could literally make far better progress doing like half the amount of work in the right scenario, like multiple times better progress because your body's actually able to adapt properly because most people want to get super sore, create all this damage muscle damage is actually like more of a byproduct that you're not necessarily aiming for because when you create damage, your body has to first repair the damage and then build muscle. So you're digging yourself or like filling the hole that you just dug and then trying to exceed that versus if you create the minimal amount of damage, you're able to make more progress faster because you're not digging yourself out of a hole. Hmm. That absolutely makes sense, actually. Um, I guess a lot of people sometimes think, um, you know, uh, with higher reps, then they don't need to load as heavy, especially women, I guess, thing in that, that sense, or maybe with a higher reps, then you don't, um, if let's say if you have five reps only, then you might need more rest time in between, or you might need more set, sets, for instance. And so sometimes perhaps the thought is with 20 reps, 
I can get away with two sets or three or whatever. Um, yeah, what what sort of rep scheme do you personally, or not rep, but set and rep scheme, I guess, do you follow then? So if we're looking at the idea that if you want to build muscle, you have to get stimulating reps, and those are only the last five reps to a set failure, then it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you're getting enough stimulating reps, which seems to be about 15 at the low end per muscle per workout. So that would mean three sets to total failure. You could do like, I don't know, six or seven sets with like two reps in the tank. But if you're getting to the point or you're not getting to the point where the last reps you're doing in a set are very slow and very hard, you're probably not building any muscle. Hmm. I, I agree, actually. Yeah, I was just talking to someone else um, and uh, totally agree that most people, you think, like, oh, I'm feeling this muscle. I'm probably close to failure. I'm going to stop. And it's just so evident that most people stop too soon. I mean, of course, again, in the in the realm of safety and everything else, but occasionally or more pushing to failure rather than not is, I think, beneficial for a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I think most people would. So what I like to do, depending on what the person, like who the person is and what their goals are and stuff, but let's say, I don't know, let's say like a, a 50 year old woman came to me and she had like some like minor gut and hormone issues. And I realized like, okay, I definitely can't do higher reps because she's not going to be able to recover from that amount of fatigue. I can't do a bunch of like slow lowering phases like, or pauses because she can't recover from the damage. We're probably going to do mostly sets of like three to eight. Probably not very many pauses, probably no longer than like a four second eccentric. And a probably, if she wants to build more muscle, going to pick mostly stable movements that fit her current movement capabilities. Hmm. So maybe she's like, oh, like I'm struggling with like glute activation. Like I can never get my glutes to, to like work. It's like, well, glute activation is usually attacked wrong because most of the time people are using super high reps but they're not able to actually reach full recruitment of their muscles because the fatigue blocks that from happening. Like literally directly, like will not let you activate all the fibers. So a better solution would be taking, you know, a five to seven rep max and doing zero to one rep in the tank with controlled reps. Maybe it was like a single leg glute leg press or something like that, where you're like very stable. You don't have to worry about coordination and you can just push really, really hard. And this will teach you over time to be able to increase what's called voluntary activation, meaning you're able to use more of the available muscle fibers in a given muscle versus usually people are just trying to chase fatigue or the burn or the pump or whatever. None of that actually increases activation. You're not trying to just like increase like tiny portions of muscle fibers. You want to have the most amount of muscle fibers humanly possible within that muscle. Like you want your whole glute firing, not just like this small portion of your glute. Like it's just not going to contribute to much growth if you do that. That's a really good point. I like that. I like, I think that's an amazing um, takeaway in the sense of, uh, well, maybe your banded glute kickbacks are not the best way to activate your full, your full muscle or your full glute, I guess. Um, so really, really good. Did you say uh, about three to eight rep range type of thing? Yeah, so one method that I'll use, let's say if somebody's able to squat with good technique, let's say and they want to build strength, maybe we're like, okay, maybe we did five sets of five with like a seven rep max. So then we're getting three stimulating reps every set. We're hitting 15 total reps on the low end. 
And maybe it was more of like a balanced squat. So we're getting like glutes and quads and adductors. So we're like, cool. Then maybe you really wanted to push growth. So you threw in like a glute bridge, or maybe you wanted to get like glutes and hamstrings. So you did like a 45 degree hip extension for like three sets to failure. It's like, great. Now you probably got 30 total stimulating reps for your glutes. You did two movements and like eight total sets. And then your quads and your adductors still got hit really well too. So That's that would be a really efficient way to train glutes. If you didn't want to grow a bunch of quads and you wanted more of like a glute and hamstring, like dominant look to your physique, like most women would prefer. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And, um, just again, of course, I, I think, um, it often depends on the exercise per se, um, with like isolation work or so, um, you know, it might be beneficial maybe sometimes in the 10, 15 rep range or whatever, as opposed to the lower one, let's talk about like, for example, kickbacks or um, lateral raises or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, generally for compounds like that, an ex, a rep scheme, set scheme like that sounds absolutely, absolutely perfect and totally makes sense from the way that you explained it. Um, I, I still think even kickbacks and lateral raises, you'd still grow better doing like sets of like five to eight. Right. But okay. yeah. most people, when they think of like five reps on a lateral raise, like they're they're thinking with their ego rather than a weight they can actually handle for five reps on a lateral raise. <laughs> like good technique and maybe a pause. Like it's like that's the difference. It's like it still grows muscle just the same. People mm -hmm. are just thinking like, oh my gosh, like I'm gonna have to use such a heavy weight. And then they go from like 10 pounds to like 30s. And you're like, okay, maybe you just need to go to like 15. <laughs> like maybe you didn't need to jump to 30s, didn't have like super crappy technique. It's like, it's still regardless, like there's still only five effective reps. But if you wanted to be like, oh, I want to increase my ability to like store glycogen and make your muscles just like look rounder, but not necessarily grow more actual like fibrous dense tissue, because that's not going to necessarily do that. You could do something like a, like a Vince Gerardo method, like six sets of six or like eight sets of eight with 30 second rest periods and get like a super crazy pump. Mm -hmm. And that's going to leave you with that like swelled like look, which can be great from an aesthetic standpoint. But if you're solely talking about growing the actual fibers, then it's going to be different. Totally. It's funny that you mentioned that method. I uh, just last month created a new training program um, for some of my clients and exactly with that method. Well, I, I tweaked it a little bit. I think it's normally eight by eight with like 45 seconds in between or whatever. And I was a little bit more gracious and gave them six by eight. But yeah, literally <laughs> everyone, um, I don't want to say they've been complaining, but they were like, whoa, it looks so easy on paper. And then two days later, you're like, ouch, my butt. <laughs> like it's, uh, it seems to be very effective. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And like a super good way to get the best of both worlds would be like, you know, maybe you have like a, a quad focused leg day and you did like the Geronim method for your glutes and your hamstrings. And then the other day you had a glute and hamstring focused leg day where you did lower reps and then you did pumpy stuff for quads and calves. <laughs> yeah, you perfect. Could, like, literally do them both at the same time. Amazing. No, I think that's a really good tip. Awesome. Well, thank you, Taylor. I, I want to um, honor your time. I'm wondering if you might have like one or two last words of wisdom for the listeners in the sense of, um, yeah, if they... If there's one thing they could do to improve their quality of life or thinking about life, what might that be? Oh, God. I think <laughs> the most important 
any human could do to maximize their abilities would be to get into breath work and meditation and take them seriously because you probably have no idea the amount of trauma that you've gone through throughout your life whether it's intentional or not or you recognize it or not um i think that in and of itself would make everybody progress far faster than they can imagine amazing thank you so much and lastly um if you can share your social media handles with us that would be awesome also um so people can go and follow you yeah so my instagram i really just have instagram and it's just which underscore taylor 22 otherwise that is basically the only way to reach me perfect well everyone go and follow taylor and once again thank you so much for your time thank you for tuning in if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to subscribe leave a review or share the episode on social very much appreciated you can also follow us on instagram at nutrition coaching and life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.